So um, my name is Scott Crowley. I'm part of the uh, counseling leadership team. We help uh, John, and there's uh, several of us, and um, we've been doing that for a couple years now. And been coming to fellowship for many years, and this is my wife, Gretchen, and our dear, dear friend, Susan Dreyer, who volunteered for something she didn't really realize what it was. <laughs> But um, what we're, what we're going to do is um, we're going to talk about gaining involvement and giving hope, uh, two of the six steps that, uh, that John already um, kind of outlined. And in the past, we've done a, a couple different uh, conferences now, and in the past we got some feedback that said, well, we'd like to see examples. You know, you're talking about a lot of things, and we'd like to kind of see it. So this is my very clunky um, attempt at that. Um, the, I wrote the verbiage, so please don't blame or judge, and I am not part of any kind of artistic ministry. Um, so I am an engineer and a very linear mechanical person. So, <laughs> the, yeah, anyway. Um, so with that, we, we will pray. Um, that was a very good way to start. Lord God, uh, we just thank you for this day, and I just pray that the the intent and the content uh, that we're going to get into are both conveyed accurately and um, according to your will and um, your character, Lord. And I just pray that this content, um, that the audience and, and myself as I was going through it, and that, that we all just gain from it and... Uh, we just follow your lead and uh, use it to, to help you do your work and to help people change as you're changing us. So we just ask um, for your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have slides. Um, I did not create uh, the slides for the first. If, if Hopefully you have the notes. If you don't have the notes, I'm going to be reading from them some. But um, I want to kind of get the 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 framework, the, the foundation set with some verses. Uh, I want to start with uh, Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, Depend, depend the whole law and the prophets. And then next we have, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. It's Galatians 6, 1 and 2. So, um, and then we'll go to um, the next verse. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians. And I just want to take a moment just to focus on that one word of ambassador. Um, a lot of this... Um, has to do with us being an ambassador 
and just uh, some characteristics that I've gleaned from some uh, some writings and is an ambassador is a represent a representative of the king and so and we need to represent him in his methods his message and his character and a lot of this can be you know we're going to hit the high points for a, of a lot of big topics so uh, i'll just kind of leave it at that but just as accurate ambassadors um and also i just want to clarify a term terminology I might use the term counseling and counselee and counselor. Um, don't get hung up on that. It's um, equally, it's, you might need to modify little aspects of it to do with if you're in a Bible study or if you're just in a, in a friendship. Um, so a lot of these, and even in our scenarios, we've kind of geared it to, it's not necessarily counseling, um, but we'll kind of we'll orient you to the, the scenario as it's happening. And then uh, we can go from there. Uh, our last verse is, um, for now, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. So it's just a great framework. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot in each of those verses, but I just want to kind of set the stage. And then I've got a slide. So the overview and the goal is uh, progressive sanctification. You've heard that term um, throughout. We want to grow in Christ-likeness. We want to help people uh, grow in Christ-likeness. We want to help people to know God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit the sufficiency of his word and the fellowship of, um, of believers. So um, tying people into the church frequently comes through these, these conversations because people don't realize they're missing it until they're, they have problems and, and then they realize how sweet fellowship can be. Um, and the key, key point is that only God can accomplish real change. We don't want to staple good fruit or behaviors that we want to see onto a rotten tree or plant. You know, it's like we, we're after that behavior. We want the desired outcome of that, but um, God's going to do it from the inside out. And uh, that's the only way that it's going to be laugh, lasting. And so that only from God can heart change and mind renewal come. So we got another couple of verses that are kind of uh, uh, kind of the whole concept kind of hangs its hat on a couple of these. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Colossians one twenty eight, and then um, very well, you know. Um, repeated very often is Romans eight twenty eight and 29. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many believers. In these efforts, as I've been 
made aware of very, very tactfully and kindly by my wife and family frequently and my friends that um, I have gaps. Um, we all have gaps and where we think we're doing the right thing. John alluded to, to one in his uh, scenario with traveling with family and kind of creating anxiety in the car. And um, these relationships point out our gaps. They show us kind of where our emotions are um, keying us into issues that we need to, to be, take as a sign that maybe there's something underneath that needs to be brought out and given over to God. And so that's part of this is, and I'm going to blend some steps a little bit. I'm going to try to stay focused on gaining involvement and giving hope. Um, but they all kind of blend together. Gaining involvement, as we're gonna, about to get into, is um, developing that, um, that passage that, um, well, I'll get into the definition. A working relationship is what we want to use, but I'll get, I'll get that in a second. Um, so here's the overall approach, the six steps. Um, I'm going to talk about the first two. But like I said, the, um, the other ones, uh, we're going to do two at a time per sessions. And if you stay in this room, um, that's what's going to be in this room is those six steps. And so, but uh, let me just define gaining involvement. Um, it means intentionally building a friendship and working relationship where God's work can thrive. So when we see those gaps and we're working with someone, the idea is to find out and know so well what that person is thinking and how they act and how they perceive things and what they do with that. Find out what God thinks about that same thing and where they're not connected, help them connect it. And so that's why that working relationship where God's work can, can thrive is you're making a workroom where God and that person can, can get together. And you're kind of prompting with, um, with some uh, homework and biblical instruction and some of those other steps that you've all gleaned from gathering data. Um, so that's kind of how it, how it all kind of ties together. There's another author, Paul Tripp, who, um, who uses kind of a slightly different um, steps. He, he uses love, know, speak, do. So that love, you need to love the person first. You get to know them, know the issues, know what their issues are, speak the truth, and then uh, look at the do, do part. So here we go. We're going to try scenario number one. This is uh, just two friends. It's brief, just to give us an idea. I'm really suffering. Keep your head up. It's all good. How can you say it's all good? You don't even know what's going on. Not very good involvement there, is it? <laughs> so let's try take two. I'm really suffering. What's wrong? How can I help you? Brief to the point. It's not rocket science. It's horrible writing. Uh, <laughs> but it conveys the point. One says, I don't care, you know, I'm not really listening. Um, or, but it doesn't have to be terribly offensive. I mean, Romans 8.28 could have been right around the corner. 
and Romans eight twenty eight isn't always. I mean, it's always true. Um, it's not always really what that person wants to hear, and so um, we want to make sure that we're entering in their suffering. We're walking with them and applying those other scriptures that we saw of of ministering. So the second answer, as you, you hopefully you saw, is um, a lot more intentional involvement, trying to um, enter in with them, live life with them. So gaining involvement is almost like a, um, I was trying to explain this to my, my uh, teenage daughter, and she didn't like the term involvement. And then I said, well, it's like a contract. She's like, ugh. <laughs> But it is like a contract, especially when it's in the counseling environment, because each party has responsibilities and, and um, expectations, requirements. And so I'm going to talk about each party and what, what their requirements are. But um, that contract needs to happen fairly quickly in counseling. First session, you kind of need to establish a, a rapport knowing you might not be best friends, but at the same time, the counselor is there for, for them and to, to enter into whatever issues they have and to help. And the person coming uh, needs to be open and honest and, and willing to share. Otherwise, you're not really going to get anywhere if it's just all superficial. Um, so with a friendship or a Bible study or something like that, it's going to take a little bit more time. It's not that like, Hey, I'm, I'm scheduled to be there at Friday at noon. And, and that's, that's when we meet. Um, it's more organic and it's going to happen kind of on the fly and, um, it might, it'll take longer and be a little bit different. So, um, as we go through the counselor kind of checklist or requirements list, Let's look at this verse. Look at 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 2, 7 through 8. And this is all around uh, compassion. But we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. And so we'll drop down to that next bullet point of just like showing love and respect, humility, um, sincere interest. It's just kind of all of that in, is encompassed in putting on Christ uh, to meet with whomever, your friend or your Bible study person, or um, um, and just showing grace. But And that speaks to that love step that... Um, that uh, Paul Tripp, that may be hard. That may be hard to do. These people may be wrestling with something that's pretty gross, you know, or pretty, you know, discouraging to hear. Uh, but um, you don't want to hear about your friend with a very, what seemingly a very healthy, happy relationship with his wife struggling with pornography. I mean, it's it's you know, it's dirty. You don't want to get involved with it. You know, there's this kind of recoiling um, instinct. But, I mean, like a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. I mean, that's, that's a picture right there of, of, you know, that unconditional, uh, intentional love. So, but that may be hard. 
And we just kind of pop back up to just, I'll pick out a couple pieces of those verses that we looked at before, just that spirit of gentleness, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Um, so just, you know, you can just get a, a real good feel for that building up and, and helping restore. Maintain confidentiality. That's a, that's a big one. Um, you know, you want to treat, this is, um, a lot of that's on the FEC intake form. So if anybody's interested in it, just even if you're not interested in counseling formally, but to know kind of some of the framework and some of the questions that are asked, um, well, we have a form available. I didn't, I, don't, I didn't put it in the notes, but um, we have in the past, but we have an intake form. But just treat it like private property. You know, the, the person, part of involvement needs to be that trust relationship. This is deep stuff and personal. And um, there needs to be a, a trust that you're not going to hear about something that you shared with somebody else you know, in the hallway or, or something. Um, now, some of that in, in the counseling environment, sometimes there can be an escalation. You know, if I'm, I'm pretty new to it relatively um, compared to some of the other people doing this. If I hit something that I'm not comfortable with, I'm going to bump it up to, you know, either John or somebody else or Ken or somebody who's had more experience. And, um, and so there, there, may, there may be some sharing at that point, but um, not you know, you're not talking, you're not gossiping. Uh, let's see. Okay, um, proper verbal communication. We'll go to Second Timothy 2.24. I think this may have been the verse that John was looking at too. Um, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. So just have your speech. You know, if we talk, actually, we'll talk about um, speech. Um, I have in a couple seconds, I'll bring up Ephesians 4.29, which is always a great, you know, uh, speech verse of how you're, um, how you use your words. Um, Nonverbal communication, eye contact, position. Um, you know, if like midstream they start talking to you and all of a sudden you're like, you know, yeah, uh-huh, you know, or, or if you see them doing it, you know, you can kind of take those as cues of your involvement level at that point in time. Like are things shutting down? Did you hit a nerve? Um, you know, is there a pushback from the table? So just... Pay attention to that. I see you. <laughs> Take their issues seriously. Uh, do not minimize their suffering and pain. That's kind of what our first scenario did, is it really kind of shut down. Just get over it. Um, you know, it's no big deal. People, um, when they come for help, they have circumstances that they want help with. They don't necessarily come to you saying, I have a heart issue that I need help with. It's kind of like these circumstances have pointed to an issue, and they may not realize that they have a heart issue with it. And that's part of that recognizing gaps um, that we're to, to bridge and help. So we're looking for those heart issues that maybe 
have something to do with the circumstances or maybe not. But then we're going to look at, try to transition the focus to heart issues and then put them in that workspace where God can work on those heart issues. So um, an extreme example of hardship and, and um, loss is Job, um, the story of Job. And we learn a lot of things from that. And one of the things that um, just kind of an anecdote that I've picked up is Job's friends were doing a great job until they spoke. <laughs> so it's like he had this great loss. They came, they hung, you know, they hung out and they were in, encouraging him just by being there. Like John was saying with his story of, um, you know, when he had loss and he didn't need words at that time. He just needed, you know, someone to hang out and, and give him a hug. So, um, yeah, just in our words and in their pain, um, I have down a couple. I have uh, do not lecture and maintain a two-way communication. It's hard to hear when you're in pain. You're not ready for a whole long, you know, um, all the reasons why you shouldn't be or you should be joyful or, or something like that. But um, so keep it short. Um, keep things to the point. We'll use our uh, Ephesians 4.29 verse. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. So those who are mature and um, when people are coming to it and you've got a lot of scripture in your, in your mind and you've got a lot of great things that God has, has taught you and you're excited about, uh, about them, just recognize that this is such an, a, a neat verse because, but only such a word as good for edification. Uh, well, I got a lot of truth that could be edifying, but according to the need of the moment. And so maybe this isn't the best time to bring up like this whole big doctrine of something. Um, we'll put that on a, you know, we'll put that on our future our future list and it's okay to make that list and, and to kind of get to it when you have a moment. Um, but, uh, in the moment of, of pain and suffering, um, you want to give grace to those that hear and, uh, be a, pay attention to that moment of what's, uh, of what's needed. So again, just showing love. Sharing similar, um, similar struggles. Sharing similar struggles can actually be quite the connection. Um, you know, in counseling, you might not know the person. In a friendship, you might not know much about the person. You're getting to know them. But um, those shared connections, those shared struggles could actually bring you together pretty well. Um, and they, they may be very interested in how you managed it. But then if you get too much into it, here's the flip side of the coin, is if all you're talking about is kind of how you did it and how you, 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 then it's, it's not all about you. So keep it, keep it a balance. You know, it's good to share. Um, that's a good thing that builds involvement, but, um, too much of a good thing, I guess. And, um, it gets distracting. It doesn't really produce what you're looking to. Um, just general, 
provide expectations, guidelines for meetings, timelines. That's just the process framework, setting up expectations. Um, and again, that's more of the formal um, counseling or, you know, maybe you, even with your Bible studies, you're going to say, you know, here's the, here's the notes, here's the expectations, um, and we'll get to the expectations on the counselee or the recipient in a second. But um, just kind of setting things up. People are comforted by the fact of, of some structure uh, and expectations. Is that Proverbs? Yeah. This is a great verse that I really love because um, it keeps me from shooting from the hip without. Um, so listen and gather data before offering instruction. Um, again, that helps with involvement is just listening. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. So just, you know, there's a lot of doctrine that I get excited about. And exuberance is, is good and energy is good. Too much of a good thing. Um, if they're not ready for it, that's just not, it's not good. So I always encourage them, their participation and their progress. Um, everybody benefits from, from some cheerleading. So here's the, um, here's the job description of the counselee is to bring a learner spirit, you know, have, be willing to, to learn and um, gives you, gives the counselor permission to speak truth into his or her life. Um, they need to come. If they come with just kind of like, I don't, you know, yeah, 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 whatever. Um, it's kind of like, why are we meeting? You know, if it's, if it's already all set and you don't have room for, for my input, then uh, you need to step back and, and possibly either fire yourself from the counseling engagement or just kind of have that heart to heart of what, what they expect going back through expectations. Um, commitment to doing homework. Uh, the counseling time is not the magic hour. Um, the, 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 magic, the magic happens when they commune with God, when they get to know God, when they get to get into the word and um, get to know the spirit and uh, let all those things work on their heart. So spending time praying and studying the scriptures, that's the workroom for the redeemer is how uh, Paul Tripp label, uh, labeled that. Be patient with the process. Uh, you know, some of these things took years and years of behaviors and decision-making to get to this point. It's not always a, a quick fix. Some, it's amazing. God, God is amazing. So I, I want to balance, um, balance the, the information, but, uh, some, some things are a quick fix. It's like, as soon as they, all of a sudden that gap is, is built and they're back in, in sync with God on a topic, big changes can happen very quickly. But some of the things are long built habits and it takes a while to break them. Patient with the problem, willing to change, not just go through the motions. You know, that's a big thing. Spiritual assessment, that needs to, that can kind of go wherever, but um, spiritual assessment is just learning their testimony, 
how clear is it? Um, their maturity, their maturity level, how much they've, how much experience with God they have and uh, their experience with the scriptures will dictate a lot about how far, how fast you can go. Um, you might need to start over. You may, so they may have a presented issue and you can't even address it without doing a first, a, a quick kind of creation to Christ. Um, let's get the foundation built so that we can talk the same language. Um, so some, some of that may take you into a slightly different place than uh, just addressing that issue. Uh, a growth commitment, you know, finding out what their growth commitment, find out what community and commitment to local church they have, because that will dictate some things. You guys ready to en embark on another adventure? So this is two, um, it doesn't have to be teenage, but two young adult female friends are talking about relationships. Hey, it's been a while since we talked. I met a guy and he's really cool. I think we're going to start dating. Well, that's exciting. Is he a believer? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, not, not sure. But if it comes up, I'll share the gospel with him. Well, I've read a verse that says believers should hang out, be friends, and witness to unbelievers, but should not be yoked to unbelievers. Do you want to grab some coffee sometime? And we'll look that up and see what it says. Hmm. I don't know. Everyone else says I should do what makes me happy and follow my heart. Relationships can be difficult. You're a friend, and I don't want to see you get hurt by expecting an unbeliever to love you like Christ. It's, relationships are hard enough with two believers. Remember the proverb 423 that says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Jeremiah 17.9 that says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I'm just saying take it slow and do your best to follow the spirit like we studied a while back. I guess you're right. I ought to evaluate things a little more carefully and make sure you guys are holding me accountable. Are you going bowling tomorrow night, the group? <laughs> so some of the context there is that they're friends. Um, the involvement was already there. The This was a happy ending. Um, I think, do we have anyone working with youth? I'm sure every conversation goes with that. You point some scriptural truth, and they just bite right onto it. And <laughs> so, um, but it just showed it's kind of a kind of a tricky spot. Here's a friendship. You have the the risk of kind of pushing away a friend if she doesn't accept this counsel, um, this line of, of thought, uh, that might impact your friendship. So, uh, but anyway, but that's uh, just kind of a, a different friend to friend kind of look at things. So I'm going to read this sentence that uh, kind of wraps up involvement and a couple of introduces some other steps too. You, you have been successful with this part of the process if you know how the counselee acts and thinks about a thing and you are able to contrast how they act and think with how God acts and thinks. So, and I, I just make a, a little statement there, a note that um, that overlaps with data gathering, defining problems biblically, even giving, you know, giving biblical instruction 
but gaining involvement has to do with the, the relationship, the sharing, and uh, the trust necessary for the other stuff to, to occur. So now we're going to shift gears. We're going to get into giving hope. Um, why do people need hope? You know, that's, that's a pretty obvious, just look, read the news, watch, watch the news, um, you know, look at the world. Any trust that we have in the world or ourselves will fall short. That's kind of a, a synopsis of, of, of what, I, what I think is, is happening a lot and what I've read. Um, people need hope because if they trust in the world or, there's, or themselves for pretty much anything, uh, it'll fall short. And what happens from that is the list of the characteristics of the fall because we're um, children of the fall. So you get the, I don't, I don't need to read all that, but we get all the pain and suffering of the fall. Um, that's why we need hope. You know, what is, what is, what good could come from all that? So, you know, and that kind of points to the problem of pain. Well, there's books and books um, on, on the problem of pain and suffering. Um, we have a sermon series that we did a while back, um, and that's available in CDs. I'm not sure if it's on uh, online, but if this is a topic that you've wrestled with or that you're interested in on kind of that um, walking with God through suffering, uh, there's a lot of resources available. One of the core issues, though, has to do with what, what are we worshiping? Uh, we're built to worship, and so are we worshiping God himself and our relationship with God and God is unchanging regardless of our circumstances, or are we worshiping the gifts from God? And the gifts from God are a little bit more fluid. They can come and go. And um, Job, again, our extreme example, Job had a lot of things removed from him by Satan to test, <clears throat> excuse me, to test because the accuser, Satan was saying he only loves you, God, because of all the stuff. And so God's like, all right, um, it took away the stuff. And did Job, Job still, um, still love him? And that's the whole book of, the, the book of Job and all the lessons learned through that. Um, but the stuff can come and go. But are you worshiping and, and loving God himself? And a lot of that has to, to do, we'll talk more about pain with some other some of these other points, but um, that's kind of a crucial, a crucial issue. The problem of pleasure. Is there such a thing? Has anybody else heard of this? I mean, Ravi Zacharias has talked about this a lot. And actually, this one straight hits home for me because it actually is a big part of my testimony. Is I didn't really experience much suffering or, or pain that I was kind of, uh, that I was aware of. Pretty easy life. I had a problem with pleasure. I was pursuing pleasure with friendships and going out and drinking and, and parties and, and stuff like that. But it's like after it was done, after the recovery, it was like, all right, when are we doing it again? You know, I live for the weekends. I, you know, it's, a, it's always about the next fun thing. And what I realized is I kind of 
God gave me a reflective moment and, he's, and I was like, this is, this is a hamster wheel. This will never resolve itself. There will never be any fulfillment. It's always the next thing. I always need the next, you know, and people do it with materialism or, or what have you. Put in whatever you want in the, in the box there. I need a new car. I need it. And then when I get it, a year later, you're like, eh, you know, yeah. And you realize how much effort did you put towards that car and wanting that car, um, whatever. But, um, but yeah, anyway, the, the problem of pleasure, um, it wasn't fulfilling so, because it, God wasn't in it. So with, without God, it's not going to be fulfilling, and that's why you need hope. What's biblical hope? Biblical hope is sure and trustworthy because it's based on God's promises and character. I got this. This is a long one, but um, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And then I allude to Romans 8, but uh, I'm not going to read that. It's in. I put a bunch of extra verses as I was doing research through this. Just verse after verse was popping up, and they're just fantastic. Um, but you can read that on your own sometime. But a sure hope is one that's guaranteed. God has guaranteed it. God has made a lot of promises in the Bible, and he keeps all of them. Um, it's sure we, um, we have the hope as an anchor to our soul. I was reading about uh, uh, or listening to a, a story on this. A naval person was talking about what, how they use anchors and boats when the, the storm is coming. They might let the anchor out, and the heavy chain and the heavy anchor will actually, not, not to latch onto the bottom, but just that weight um, and that drag will kind of, the storm will come. The storm, it doesn't change the storm. It lessens the impact um, on the vessel. And so that's the hope that we have is, is that hope eternal because of believing in Jesus for dying for our sins. Um, we have that hope eternal. And when the circumstances happen, um, it kind of lessens the impact. It still impacts us, but uh, it just lessens it so. So we have our another scenario where we have a husband, husband and wife who are believers and um, they have a relationship with this other person and um, they're sharing some struggles. Thanks for meeting with me for coffee. It's my pleasure. What's up? Things aren't so great. My husband and I are really going at it and I'm suffering. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. What seems to be causing the conflict? Seems like everything, but mostly our finances, our savings. My crazy husband, a boat of all things. He's decided all of a sudden that we have to have a boat and he won't listen to reason. I've told him that what it would do to us financially, but he won't listen. Hmm. You think Jesus dying on the cross was the worst thing or the best thing for in history? Uh, both. 
It was terrible that while Jesus was innocent and he died for our sins, but also the best because by believing in his death for our sins and, and the resurrection, we can be saved and have life. I agree. You should definitely share your opinion and reasons for not wanting to make such a large purchase with the hope that he listens to your wisdom. I know this may be hard to hear, but just as Christ laid down his life, you may need to sacrifice being right, trust God with your finances, and still love your husband, even if he doesn't deserve it. Three months later. <laughs> <laughs> I've been praying for you guys. How's it going? Thanks so much. I appreciate all your prayers and your encouragement. Your texts and notes and the verses that you've sent have really encouraged me. It turns out what he really wanted was something big and memorable as a family before our kids leave home. We went out on the boat several times and we've had a blast. But we've been studying scripture together too and he realizes that his desire for big fun and family adventures, while it was a good thing, even a great thing, it was an idol for him and we can't afford it. We're going out one more time, and then we're putting the boat up for sale. It's hard for me, but God gave me grace and peace that though my husband was not loving me the way that he was supposed to, the way Christ loves the church, I could still love him the way I was supposed to. We're closer now than we ever were before, and we had a really good time on the boat as a family. Now, do you know anyone who wants to buy a boat? <laughs> Sorry to anybody who wants a boat or has a boat <laughs> or has had conflict about a boat. <laughs> it's a great scenario. I mean, we work with marriage relationships, and a lot of times that con the conflicts there, whatever the cause, and idols a lot of times are are within good things, family time. Having a big adventure with a family is a great thing. Um, building memories and, and enjoying your family. Um, but when a good thing becomes, uh, when you're willing to sin to get it, um, you wrestle with the idols. You saw the involvement. They were meeting for coffee. Um, in the break, there was a mention of texts and scriptures and meetings that they had in order to someone who was being asked to die to themselves. Um, she was, you know, she was right. The, um, from the get-go, the guy had a plan, and he was kind of bound, determined to accomplish that, that goal. And um, always convey wisdom, have the conversation. There should be open dialogue. Um, but at some point, both spouses may end up sacrificing um, being right. Um, it's not worth being right if you're just going to drive yourselves apart, you know, so the, putting the relationship first, dying to, um, dying to yourself, sacrificing in order to, to lift up that marriage relationship. And what happened later was repentance. And they studied and stuck with it, and it took time. But you can grow from that, and you become better. Um, you're better off that uh, we've seen a lot of husbands and wives uh, come out of a situation like that, even more focused on God and a closer relationship with God, which then brings them, as they both grow closer to God, 
they get closer to each other with God at that pinnacle and, and um, their each relationship building up. So our hope increases as our relationship with and knowledge of God, the Father, the person and work of Jesus, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit grows. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself am also convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. It's just—it's a great building up verse. I mean, it—it's um, just great. I mean, God fill you with all joy and peace, and then um, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're not focused on yourself to kind of generate it. You don't have to will yourself to be joyful. Um, and then what a great kind of send-off and a boost and encouragement. You are full of goodness. You know, Paul's really encouraging him there. Uh, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Again, that whole church aspect uh, of, doing this type of, uh, of doing this type of ministry. The authority and su- sufficiency of the Scripture Obviously, this whole thing, everything about this process, um, it hinges on on this. So um, I'm not going to do it justice. Uh, John Avery did a session on Monday on the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. Um, the I think some of the other sessions will will hit that. So I'm actually going to kind of keep on keep on rolling. Um, there are a couple verses that I do want you to go back and read that Romans 15 and the second Timothy great verses about the authority and sufficiency of scripture. Hope in the old Testament. Um, we'll see about my enunciation, but Yachal is, uh, was just waiting, just general waiting term, um, like waiting for the sunrise. Um, Kava is, uh, a, a tense expectation uh, QAV was a rope kind of being pulled very tightly about to break um, I think is the, the kind of uh, the meaning behind it so tense expectations which was used for waiting for the Lord um, and sometimes in a couple of the books that it was referenced um, they'd use both they're waiting in one way and then like tense tensely waiting for that um, you know for the Lord and uh, hope in the New Testament, um, LPs, favorable, confident expectations, um, joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation. So that future look that gives you that gives you hope. What biblical hope is not? And so I was going to have some graphics. I don't have any graphics, but uh, one of the ones I wanted to put was the biblical, the non-biblical hope. Has the guy that's, I'm more of the before picture than the after, but the guy who's very fit and trim with pants out to here because he lost um, so much weight. You know, these advertisements that you can do anything with this product. You can be fit if you just, you know, drink this shake two times a day or, or whatever. But um, that that's not biblical hope. It's It's wishing. It's... You know, the advertise means if you, if you buy this product, you'll get something. Um, they almost make biblical promises. 
um, you can do all things. There were some ads during the Olympics that you can almost like, if you get this product, you can do, you can do anything. Biblical hope is not the same as um, optimism. Biblical hope is present, present with no evidence of circumstances uh, changing or improving. So um, we can't promise that pain will go away. We can't promise that an unfaithful spouse will, won't leave or um, once repentant, we can't promise that they will return. You can't promise children will be obedient and uh, loving and respectful. Um, but it gives you the power and the strength to walk with God, have peace and joy during those hard those hardships. Um, this will be a little bit, be patient with me on this one, not a cool drink or a soft pillow. This has to do with self-centered comfort. The scriptures and God offers comfort to those who are ailing, no doubt. And I don't want to, to disagree with that. But this self-centered comfort, kind of like we were talking about before with those promises, it doesn't promise that your pain is going to go away. It doesn't promise um, those things. Um, there's a, a quote that says, God's office is at the end of our rope. So it's kind of like you're going to suffer, and that's it's kind of like it takes all that for us to get past our focus on worldly things and focus on God. And so suffering and pain may either be the natural consequences of poor decisions or um, even within that framework, it can, it's used by God to almost like get the picture of prying open our hands to remove things that's, that's um, a, a stunting our growth. It's a stumbling block to our growth. So sometimes it takes that, that like you picture the wrestling match going on of like, I want it. Um, and God's using these circumstances, these, uh, these things that we suffer to kind of pry those things that are stunting our growth uh, out of our hands and so that we can um, be focused on him more. This is a key concept. Um, the main challenge for believers, no matter the issue they face, is losing their focus and confident focus on and confidence in the Lord and thereby falling away from his perfecting work in their lives. So that's just a good one to chew on. Um, the example that verse given is when Peter was walking on the water and he stepped out of the boat, walked on the water, focused on Jesus, and then got distracted, uh, took his eyes off, lost focus, and started sinking and needed to be rescued. Um, that's kind of a, that's that's our walk as a believer. If we focus on Jesus, have him, the circumstances around us are less impactful. Uh, they're still there. They're still real. But um, but we're able to keep our eyes on Jesus and, and walk successfully. Key issue there is um, is grace. Frequently, what comes up about, the, about grace is um, we want to be something we're not. We want to be our own, our own man, our own um, self-made person. We want to, that ends up devaluing or diminishing the need for grace. Um, 
we need to accept and acknowledge who we really are. And that's failures and a bit of a mess. Um, and then that will lead to us to rest in the fact that Jesus is everything. So, um, you know, somebody used the term grace graduate. There's no grace graduate. You don't get the diploma and you got it mastered. You're done. You don't need it anymore. Um, there are no grace graduates. Um, we all need grace for, for everything. Uh, and just realize we're not just failures. We're, it's okay. We're, mass, we're actually massive failures. We can't do these things on our own. Um, but that's okay. Once you accept and acknowledge that, God knows that, you know, and that's where we begin to rest in his grace and have a uh, fruitful walk and just rest in the fact that Jesus is everything. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that our tribulations bring about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, who was given to us. Uh, just there's so much in there. Jesus is everything. He redeems us. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, he redeems our pain and our suffering. He makes the pain and suffering um, like that Old Testament word for for waiting. The the concept was that the the pain and suffering was a door to go through to get to God and to get um, God allowing that for to get to His blessing. Um, gives meaning to life you know just superficial little topic right there you know just gives meaning to our life um being facetious sorry um but it gives meaning to everything it gives meaning to 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 your suffering and to your um and to your pain it gives meaning to uh, your existence it allows us to take our suffering and to take the comfort that we do get from um, our suffering and, and walking with the, with God through it, and then we can bless others and have a ministry um, offering other people that comfort that we've been given. And it makes us valued and useful. Um, in Ephesians, it says we're his workmanship prepared to do his good works. And so um, we're being worked on him so that then we can then be useful and do work for him. So I just kind of put in the notes that I found hope in kind of some strange places. It's all over scripture. Um, some of the kind of little bit different ones were the Beatitudes where it says blessed, you know, and it has that list. And, and um, in, um, I forget the guy's name, uh, Philip Yancey's book, uh, Jesus I Never Knew. Um, he, he kind of paraphrased it, oh, how lucky. You know, it's a very strong word for blessed. And um, I just read that, and it's like God, God's ideas are way different than mine um, and definitions of blessed when it's those who mourn, those are poor in spirit. Um, but that, that gives me hope, you know. It's like when things are a mess, oh, it's like, okay, this is what blessed 
you know, I can kind of re reshape my thinking warnings and uh, the warning passages and put on and put off. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard that, but a lot of times if you look in, in scripture, there's put off verses very close to put on verses nearby. So you see a list of all these horrible things that you're to put off. It's the kind of the deeds of the flesh and then put on the deeds of the spirit. Um, so, but that's encouraging to me actually, because that's involvement in that, like, it speaks to me. I do the things that I'm not supposed to. And they wrote that in the book. It's a warning for believers. And I fit that job description. And I screw up that way that they're warning me about. And he gives me a, a way and the power to not do it anymore. So that gives me involvement and hope um, and encouragement and all that. So I'm going to wrap it up with two quotes. From Ravi Zacharias, outside of the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no hope in this world. That cross and resurrection at the core of the gospel is the only hope for humanity. Wherever you go, ask God for wisdom on how to get that gospel in, even in the toughest situations in life. In, a, in the gospel message, the beginning of change occurs in the heart of each individual. This heart change makes a difference in the home, then in the community, and ultimately in the nation, and in turn shapes the future in a, of a cultural ethos. Ethos. So, to conclude, this is not for paid staff only. Um, you've heard that. This is for all believers. Uh, effective personal ministry seeks to avoid being terminally casual in our relationships, only talking about the weather and superficial things, um, but purposeful, intentional relationships, and to be part of what God is doing in others by imitating Jesus, who has positioned us to be change agents to represent him. So if anybody is struggling with hope, to the point of like they're actually struggling with hopelessness, um, like deep, deep hurt. There is a session tomorrow at 1045 um, on depression. And um, it was recorded by John Morrison. It's going to be a video, but um, uh, there's a session tomorrow for that. If you're struggling or if someone you know is struggling uh, with that, I would recommend that. If you can't make that, obviously, um, Try to find somebody with a with a lanyard and um, get to talk with them, and we'll we'll figure something out to to talk about that. So uh, let me just pray real quick, short on time. Lord God, just thank you so much for this day, and um, we just lift up the rest of the conference, and I just uh, lift up all the participants here, and um, I just pray, Lord, that. You can help us to be intentional with our relationships, that you give us a heart, a heartfelt desire to help you help others. I just thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.